The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post a screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and I'm delighted to be chatting with someone that I like to think has become my friend over the past couple of months. Her name is Micah Kleisen. Micah graduated as an educational psychologist and play therapist is, and is a certified professional coach with the ICF, or the International Coaching Federation. She is a people and relationships oriented scrum master with coaching and team coaching as the main tools in her toolkit. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Too, it has been, it's been a while since we've had a chance to chat. So it's just the listeners don't get to see your like glowing face. No. Yeah. It's but I just, I, for a reason, hey? yeah, it is. It is. There, there's another agilist being incubated inside of you, Definitely, which is exciting. Yeah. No, it, it, can't, uh, it can't hide from the whole agile upbringing, I will uh, No, <laughs> not at all. But every time, every time I talk to you, it's like seeing sunshine. It really is. You just bring so much joy into the world. So uh, thank, thank you. you for being with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. You're welcome. Yeah. So as, as you know, when we have guests on the show, we love to just start off with like your agile origin story. Like, what was it? How did you find yourself to become a Scrum Master? Yeah, so how you already announced a little bit um, in my bio is, uh, um, is, is from, uh, from origin, I'm an educational psychologist and a play therapist. Um, so I didn't know anything about Agile, but one thing I learned in my uh, in my education is the is the whole empiricism. Like counseling is based on empiricism; it's constantly inspecting the depth. Um, so when I started to work in uh, in a more commercial environment in uh, in the online marketing, which was in South Africa actually, which was not in Holland, where where I'm from, um, I was already completely out of my comfort zone because I was in a different country. I was in a different culture. So there was a lot of complexity around me. And I was trying to also understand that world. And um, I became a, a team lead there. And I, I saw how the waterfall model or how the, the traditional project management model created a lot of conflict based on deadlines and on different teams that had to work together, but they didn't really work together. And uh, they were just blaming each other and uh, for not meeting deadlines. And that made me wonder, like, is there not another way of how we deal with each other? And like, 
how can we make it more people centralized? Can you, can you just pause there, Micah? Because is there another way that we can deal with each other? Like that yeah. in and of itself is such a beautiful inquiry. Because isn't that at the end of the day, we're just a bunch of people trying to work the best way together to make magic happen. So yeah. is there a different way of dealing with that? I yeah. love that invitation. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, well, it was my, it was my spark. Like it was my drive. Like I saw people fighting and I yeah. thought all the friction and all the, all the emotion that comes uh, to the party, but we're, we're trying to reach a goal together, you know, like why are we fighting? Why are we blaming each other? So, so that's when I started to look for different approaches and I ended up with Scrum. Uh, found it on, online. There's, of course, there's a lot of content, and uh, I thought, and then I started to read the Scrum Guide, and and immediately I saw, yes, I'm a Scrum master. Like I am, I'm, I'm that uh, process type of person that looks at the people, and yeah, um, yeah, I could just identify myself with the way of working and and the role. Yeah, and that's how I found Agile. Yes. I love that. And what has your journey been like as a woman in this community? What do you observe about other women you encounter in this community? What works well? What's a challenge? Yeah, you know, I think Agile opens a lot of doors for diversity because we're now looking at people, people over process and tools. Um, also the Scrum framework uh, it's um, it's cross-functional teams it's it's a self-organizing team so I think the whole mindset and the whole frame and the way of working just opens the doors for for, for diversity and um, and also to to think about what diversity means in a team or in, a, in an organization so as a woman I feel uh, more freedom or more opportunities to um, to also use my skills. Um, I don't want to generalize that uh, that women are more people oriented than men or something like that, but I think um, I can only speak for myself. But as a woman, I feel I can really use my yeah how how I am socialized as a girl. So to to look after people or to look after the group not only going for your own um, interests, but also going for the group interest, I can apply that in this framework. And, and people are actually encouraging it. Like, yeah, that's, we want that yeah. in, our, in our environment. So yeah, in that sense, um, yeah, I feel there's yeah. more, more uh, for me to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it does, it absolutely is sort of a fertile ground for feminine leadership aspects. Yeah. What, um, right, being someone, right, I'm in the southeastern United States and have had the privilege of working across a lot of this country in a different agile communities and, and sort of understand sort of how diversity is playing out in the gender balance here in the U.S. What do you experience sort of in Holland and in the Netherlands? Like, what is that like when you're interacting with the larger agile community there? Do you find that it's about equal um, 
or or what's the representation of women like there? Um, I think if I speak for the Netherlands, there's still a lot of debate going on around uh, women in uh, leadership positions. Uh, if you look at our parliament, uh, the women are still uh, yeah, um, really trying to to, to get the, the positions like uh, we don't have a female uh, president yet like so um, yeah there's still a lot to do if you ask me mm -hmm. um, but what I see in the agile community is that um, uh, that more women are getting into uh, or maybe um, they stay within the corporate more longer uh, because they feel more at home uh, because they can apply their skills and they're getting respected for it. Uh, you see more product owners, because, like uh, in, when we started, I think in Agile, a lot of product owners were male. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But I don't have numbers though. It's just my yeah. own observation. But I yeah. see it's now also getting more common that uh, there are female product owners and um, uh, and then the combination in the Scrum Master product owner role um, yeah, there are a lot of female scrum masters, uh, but again, I don't have numbers, so I cannot really yeah. make it scientific, but, uh, yeah. um, I, I can, I, I think just if I follow my intuition and what I see that, uh, women feel more at home. That's great. That's lovely. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so you're also a professional certified coach, um, with international coaching federation. You serve on the board of the ICF Netherlands. Yes. Um, what? Let's talk just for a minute about what gender diversity is like within that professional community. Because oh, um, yeah. I'm just curious what your experience there is as well. Ooh. Um, well, our board is is uh, is is a. Uh, well, we have. We have no. I think the female is uh, dominated. <laughs> yeah, so it's female dominated. Um, but to be honest with you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. I, c I cannot make it scientifically correct. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I, 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 I struggle to answer the question a little bit because I don't have the numbers. Well, which is fine, yeah. but I, what I yeah. make up just yeah. kind of by listening to you is that you're not experiencing things within the Agile community or the professional coaching community that make you feel disadvantaged or marginalized in any way, no. or that no. there is a sense of imbalance. It feels to me like you're like, I experience equality in the way we all collaborate and work together like nothing feels off no in the coaching community for me it feels very balanced and it's also Great. part of it's also part of the the, the ethical um code uh, yeah. that we shouldn't differ differentiate between gender or uh, race or whatever you can yeah. differentiate on so um and i yeah we we embrace that and i can sense that so in the coaching community for me there's no no i i don't bump into um conflict in yeah. corporate life yes there's still there's still conflicts yeah, yeah. when well, and, and that's why i love that you have this strong i'll even call it a bias 
towards bringing forward that coaching stance uh, because it can serve in so many ways. But there's duality and almost at times um, paradox that we're, we're, we encounter as agilists employing professional coaching skills. And I think that's the topic we wanted to explore some today is how to, how do you navigate those different things? How can you fully occupy that role of scrum master and that role of agile coach? Um, And what are the other stances that serve you well? Why is this something you're passionate about? Why, why, why? Yeah, why is it something I'm passionate about? Look, um, I think it is very important to manage relationships. So to uh, in in also in corporate, if we are having commercial goals and we're having KPIs or we having we want output, you know, th- there's a goal. Um, how do we get there? Well, we get there through psychological safety first, of course, like, do you feel at home? That's why as a woman, or it's important that you feel at home, that you feel respected and that you feel you can say what you want to say and what you have on your mind. So you feel that psychological safety first. Um, and then what do you need for that? So how, how do you manage relationships that you that you feel psychological safe? Um, to reach your goals as as a, as a unit as a group, um, and I'm very passionate about that part. Um, and I see that shift happening all around me. That there's more and more interest into psychological safety and how you establish psychological safety in corporate. Um, and yeah, I just love to be part of that journey. How do we do that? How do we create that? Yeah. What um, yeah. what was it about your journey that led you and this desire, right? You found that spark of agile, you're seeing this need for creating, right, that container where humans can really feel safe and thrive. At what point in this journey did you discover the concept of professional coaching and why do you think it's so useful for you in your work as a scrum master? Uh, it's funny because uh, when I read the Scrum Guide for the first time, I saw coaching, coaching, coaching. And um, um, before I knew about Agile and Scrum, for me, coaching was an important part of my work. Uh, I coached already um, as an educational psychologist. I coached uh, teams also in that uh, profession. Um and when I became a team lead in, in the online marketing, um, my yeah everyone would have defined me as a coaching leader. So for me, the, the whole coaching stance was already the, 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 my, my being. Like that's how yeah, I it was just natural yeah. for you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it's, yeah. And um, I, I've, I'm, I'm even rejected on, on job interviews for not being directive enough, like not being a directive leader. And uh, that made me think, of course, because sometimes you do want a job and you, you do want to, yeah, you do want to like achieve that, that, uh, uh, that moment to, to get the job. 
but the the feedback was very uh, uh, good because I realized, but I don't want to be a directive leader. It's not who I am. So if you if you don't um, want to hire me because of that, it's fine. Then we're not a match. But so so yeah. So so that's my own self discovery on okay, what kind of leader am I? So yeah, for me, coaching was always the stance. And when I read the Scrum Guide, I saw coaching, 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 and um, later, I read uh, Barry Overheim's article uh, about the, the eight stances of the Scrum Master and also how he emphasizes the coaching stance. And But I feel it was still a little bit um, left aside, like the coaching stance is not completely unpacked yet. So what does, what does coaching mean and what does professional coaching say about coaching? Um, yeah, so my fascination only grew, and that's why I'm t chatting to you at the moment. Like, it's yeah. a journey, journey by itself. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. So, listening to that, it sounds like you did your professional coach training after having found Agile. Is that right? That's right. Yes. That's yeah. Right. yeah. So, is as you started learning more and more about what it means to really be a coach. How did that start like shifting the way you occupy the role of scrum master? But even though you were already sort of naturally using a coaching stance, that that work and that study you did, right, governed by the ICF standards, like how did that shape the way yeah. you work? Yeah. yeah. So, well, um, I bumped into the discussion around the duality. So there is the, there's the teaching and there's the um, the mentoring part of of a scrum master. And how do you combine it with coaching? So I started to talk about a lot of people around that um, because if you coach, you uh, you partner uh, with your client and um, you, you, you don't give any advices. So you partner and you level and you try to ask the questions that help the client forward. Um, so how do you do that in your in your work as a, as a scrum master? Yeah. Um, at first I had a lot of one-on-ones. Uh, so I used coaching in one-on-one in, in -on -one conversations. Um, that has changed uh, since I oriented myself a bit more on team coaching. Uh, so, uh, like at the moment, I'm really focused more on the group as a whole uh, and seeing the group as a whole as, a, as my coaching client and not the individual. But it doesn't mean that you don't have individual conversations. Sometimes you just walk out the door and something just happened. Like that's 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 the real life. Like yeah. the, theory, the theory tells you there's one-on-one -on -one coaching, there's mentoring, of uh, there's uh, uh, team coaching, um, and there are the other stances of a scrum master. But how do you combine all all these theories? Um, and then still, I end up with the 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 uh, the code of ethics. Uh, because it tells me that I can wear different caps, but I have to make it explicit. Yeah. So, so when I walk out the door with two people from the team, it's not the whole system. It's only two people of the team. Um, but they are bringing up a, a wonderful coaching question. They bring up um, how do we deal with that other team that, that are blaming us for making mistakes or something like that. 
and it's a coaching question and I can then offer like, okay, would you, would you like me to, to coach you a little bit on it? And uh, is it okay for me to, to take that stance now? And so, I think that, that is the most important part of it is actually getting the permission. Can I coach you? Like ask, making that invitation versus just doing it. Because I think we've probably all like in listeners can sort of think about those coaches that are in your life where you're in the middle of a conversation with them. And then you kind of look at them, you go, are you coaching me right now? Yeah. <laughs> because there That's is also invasive or it does feel correct. Yeah. Yeah. But there's yeah. but it, it is it's a hard line to walk because yeah. some of it just permeates your being so much. It's like you almost just show up coach ish in your entire life, no matter what, but being really cognizant of, I'm actually putting on my coach hat and asking is, may I coach you? Would you like me to? Is a really important distinction. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. You need to have that contract or that agreement that it's okay to coach. And I even take it a step further at the moment that I, I started my assignment here and uh, I recently started a new assignment that I explained the different stances and also in which circumstances you'll see me in which stance and are you okay to be coached as well. And so I, I made it a very explicit agreement from the start with the whole group. Yeah. So they understand my role a little bit more, but, but it's con you have to constantly invest in making it explicit what, what role you're taking. Mm -hmm. That's how I experience it, at least. Yeah, and I think that's important because, right, it's, you know, as Scrum Master, I might be coaching. Um, you mentioned I might be teaching already, right? Mentoring's an explicit stance, facilitation, right? An explicit stance. We, we learn a lot about those from the work, you know, Lisa Adkins and Michael Spade and Michael Hammond did with an Agile Coaching Institute and that Agile Coaching Competency Framework. But yeah. in conversations you and I have had together, um, and, and I keep meaning to have this conversation with Lisa Adkins and some other collaboration efforts is I almost feel like the stance of consultant mm -hmm. is missing there. Because if you think about the divide on the agile coaching competency framework, there are the, there's the side where you have content authority. I am teaching you. I am mentoring you. Mm -hmm. I am coming as content expert when I hold those stances. Mm -hmm. And then there's, the side of it where you really have process authority, I'm holding the container and that's the container as coach or as facilitator where you don't have as much attachment to what the content is, right? The client's really setting the agenda. Yeah. And so consultant is a stance that is almost added to the content side of it. And it is a little bit more directive than teaching or mentoring. It really is bringing in more advisory capacity um, in pursuit of something else. So how, how does the idea of consultant show up for you when you occupy the Scrum Master role? Um, yeah, it's also such an interesting question. So um, how I fulfill the role of consultant is when uh, teams need to understand the scrum framework so as a scrum master so i teach on the framework and i teach on how i mentor on how i saw other 
teams doing things and I try to give some uh, some uh, uh, some uh, input there um, and I make it very explicit that I am now teaching and this is a frame and it, it has nothing to do with my own opinion and um, uh, sometimes it has to do with my own opinion and then I also make it explicit this is my opinion um, and I, I think the difference is also how I handle the confidentiality there. So the moment I am teaching, mentoring, advising, uh, there's no confidentiality. Every everyone can. It needs to be transparent. Like also when I say when I say something stupid or something that doesn't make sense, like you need to be able to tell me, give me that feedback. Like now, Micah, what you just told us or what you just taught us. We cannot really uh, match this with uh, with with the practice or what we're doing. So that that needs to be a constant debate. Like I am not uh, uh, holding the truth. Yeah. Um, but when I coach, I I keep the information confidential. So uh, um, there's there's in that sense less transparency or the coachee or the team they choose how transparent they want to be with the information they exchange um, so I think that's that's a that's a very important difference mm -hmm. absolutely no, it, to <laughs> it totally does it totally does yeah. the um how that let's talk about that aspect of transparency and confidentiality right transparency while it, right, it's an explicit aspect of like scrum values, right? But it doesn't explicitly show up when we talk about the larger agile manifesto and agile principles, even though it's like an underlying tenet, like we know making things visible, like makes everything better. So when you're employing, right, a true coaching stance, um, how do you encourage transparency while also maintaining confidentiality? Um, the framework helps. So, so the Scrum framework has all the, all the ingredients to make to, to to increase transparency. So you have your backlog, you have your sprint backlog, you have your done increment, you have your review, uh, you have all the um, events, roles, uh, artifacts. To, to promote transparency. So if a manager asks me, so when do I know when things get done? Or how can I monitor um, the output of multiple teams at the same time? Like I will always uh, refer to uh, backlogs to um, now actually mainly backlogs and, and sprint reviews to, to come and visit sprint reviews, look at our backlogs, see uh, how the progress is done. Um, but if I have a retrospective with a team and we are discussing um, uh, like collaboration or, or feelings or feedback, then it's not my role to be transparent about that. The team can decide what they want to, uh, uh, what, what, yeah, the outcome of that meeting, often there will be action points that you'll take to the sprint. I have n not seen teams that had problems with making that transparent. The outcome of a retrospective can be transparent, but the process towards getting those actions, action points into your sprint, yeah, that, that just needs a little bit of psychological safety sometimes. And, and, and it doesn't have to be transparent because the outcome is transparent or the outcome, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Now, and you and I have explored this quite a bit in some webinars we've collaborated on and, and some other things. The age old, I'm a scrum master in an organization and the organization still has some aspect of traditional performance reviews. Yes. And what do I do when it comes that time and I've got all this confidentially confidentiality wrapped around these coaching conversations with individuals or the system and how to show up in those interactions with the, the larger organization. Yeah. Um, how are you navigating that yourself right now? It's very difficult. To, and I don't have all the answers yet because the moment you are facilitating a session and you're also including a little bit of teaching, um, you, you you will always get information like your brain doesn't stop like your observations don't stop like they will you will have observations and the moment you get asked like okay can you provide a little bit of information uh, about this team or about this person for a performance review you cannot filter anymore where on which point you had a certain observation so it is sometimes a bit confusing, but how do I manage it, uh, it is by saying in advance that um, I don't prefer to provide any uh, input for performance reviews. And uh, I, I'm, I try to manage that with the management around me um, to make them understand why I say that and that there's a conflict of interest. And um, I think it is it's it has very much to do if if the sponsor, because the, the manager and the sponsor, understands their role and, and respects also your role as a scrum master. Um, so at the moment, I experience a lot of respect. So no one is coming to me asking, hey, Micah, can you give me a little bit of uh, feedback on this and this person? I think because I managed it in advance. Yeah. As design, design, design is the phrase that I was like. It is all about having those conversations as early yeah. and as often as possible. Sure. Um, and I think, right, it becomes a lot more complicated when, you know, listeners out there, those of you that have kind of, you've been a scrum master maybe for, you know, a year or two now, and you're just now beginning your kind of real coaching journey, and you're wanting to bring more of this in. Redesigning after you've already occupied the role is a lot more I, I was about to use the word complicated, but I guess complex is the right word. There's a lot more nuance and it's a lot messier. So the design gets harder. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, true. By by changing environments, you get a new opportunity and you can manage again and you can do it in different ways than you, than you did before. But it's not impossible, especially in, yeah. a, in an agile environment where change is constant yeah. and you can also explain it like that. Look, uh, I've, I've, I've learned a new skill. I, I understand now better how, how I want to be in my role. Uh, can we have a conversation about it? And uh, yeah. it's important to, to, to identify your sponsor. So find the person that, uh, that pays for, for the team. And sometimes it's the product owner and sometimes it's someone in the organization. Um, and why? Because they need to understand their role. So they need to understand uh, that you will always aim for transparency and that there, there's a scrum framework framework or another framework, another agile framework that, that, that can help to create the transparency. 
but as a scrum master yeah you're you're, you're you won't reveal any uh, confidential information um, and they need to understand that and that will give you a lot of freedom to to help a team forward yeah as well as contribute to that aspect of psychological safety because yes. right just sort of where you started with the right your motivation and what you you find joy in your work um, is, is working with people in that way um, yeah. because if people are working under that belief that the anything I say might be used against me in my performance review and so I can't be vulnerable like that's not psychological safety exactly yeah. exactly and look there are a lot of there are really a lot of managers uh, that also want to create psychological safety so they have the same goal um, and you could also uh, invite uh, the whole system, like from a team coaching point of view, into a room and discuss the topic performance together. Like, what does performance mean for you on, on a team level or on, a, on an individual level? And you can have the manager, the, the line manager, interact with the team about this topic without having to be involved yourself. So you can facilitate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I love that. Just like let's let's just get this out on the table and let's make the topic of performance reviews very transparent yeah. and let's all design together. Yes, I, I really love that. Yeah. Um. And in speaking of agility, as we kind of go to wrap up our, our conversation today, um, as it pertains to right agility in coaching, right, we're seeing an inspect and adapt mindset from the International Coaching Federation as professional coaching as a competency is infiltrating more and more industries. The idea of I'm a professional, I'm employing professional coaching competencies as an employee within my organization. I have duality in the responsibility and the accountability of the roles I hold in my organization. The code of ethics and other things are evolving to address more team coaching competencies, what it means to be an internal coach in an organization and all of that. So where where are you seeing some of those changes and what do you see in terms of the future of um, where ICF may be evolving to make all of this easier for those that hold dual roles? Yeah, I, I see that the change, I think Scrum Masters play an important role in, in, in uh, implementing the changes. So if we learn more about the the ICF code of ethics and we understand what professional coaches can teach us about how to manage relationships um, and we implement it in our in our day-to-day -day work and we are also courageous enough to try and implement this because there's a lot to explore. The answers are not laid out yet. I think the yeah. code of ethics by itself it will also evolve like every four years or every five years you have don't um, hold this against me but i think every four years the icf um, uh, evaluates their code of ethics and it's so it, it, it's also um, open for inspection and adaption yeah so um the change lies within our role i yeah. would say yeah. 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 And yeah. I, as you were saying that it's like the change lies within us. Yeah. Right. And how do we um, 
hone our professionalism more, have more transparent and open conversations when conflicts of interest emerge. Um, For me, that's the biggest part is like, how do you be clear about that when you're holding that role of coach, especially in an organizational setting when whether it an individual client or a team client, and they have an agenda emerging that is in a conflict of interest with the needs of the larger organization. And so just how like, oh, wow, how do you design? Like, if I see that happening, what are we going to do? And how do we talk about it? Because maybe I'm not the coach for you. Yeah. Um, And just making just design, design, design. All right, I'll say it again. Yeah, definitely. And and yeah. and it's sometimes also difficult to recognize conflict of interest. Yeah. And 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 that's so that's where the code of ethics helps a little bit. They yeah. they're look, it's it's a bit of um a tough cookie to read. Um but it it gives some guidelines in when what is a conflict of interest? When is it a conflict of interest? And um and and there's a committee also that you can uh, consult. So if you have doubts around your role and how to handle conflict of interest, and often you feel it, eh? often you feel, yeah. oh, I'm stuck. I, this is a dilemma. I, I don't know what to say to this person if this person says that. I, so you feel the complexity of the relationship. Yeah. You might bump into a, an, an ethical dilemma. And uh, the ICF offers uh, consultancy around that. So uh, it's good to know. Yeah, that is good to know. And and I I think when in doubt, lean into curiosity with whoever your coaching client is. Like, ooh, how how might there be a conflict of interest here? What might you see and help them actually uncover their own blind spots? Yeah. Um, Because they may not see it either. Um, And just so, yeah, having the conversations. Yeah. So, so Micah, before we wrap up, um, I love to, there's been a lot of ground we've covered today. And I think this yeah. last piece was kind of juicy and may turn people on to things that they want to go learn more yeah. about. But what uh-huh. are you geeking out on or what are you studying and honing your own skills on for professional growth? Well, um, of course, I would like to um, go to the next stage of the, um, uh, the PCC and the MCC coaching. So at the moment, I'm an ACC coach. Uh, Which is an I- associate certified coach with the ICF. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. So there's also um, uh, the PCC and the MCC level. So the MCC is the master coach. There's a lot of coaching hours you need to make for that and a lot of training. So it could be a lifelong journey. Uh, I, I see... Uh, but there's uh, also the um, the team coaching. So mm-hmm. team coaching part that's really that's having my interest. Um, yeah, that's that's the way I uh, I develop and try to get other people with me and and have a lot of intervision and talks and uh, yeah yeah I love yeah. that I love that. And then anything you know you want to share with listeners before we wrap up? Final thoughts. Yeah, I knew this question was coming, and uh, I said in the, when when we prepared, I uh, I don't have any final thoughts. So I said, let me see in the moment. Um, ah, well, I think let's stay inspired. Also, as scrum masters, you know, you can uh, you can get caught up in the. Um, in the wheel, in the in the in the wheel of the sprints, and 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 um, it's how do you uh, 
uh, open up your world as a scrum master and, and yeah, stay inspired. I love that. Stay inspired. It was, yeah. it was interesting when I, when I felt you sort of like, mm, how do I want to go after this answer? Yeah. I, I almost interrupted you and said, Micah, if you could go back and give, you know, day one scrum master version of you advice, what would it be? Oh, and yeah. it's almost like you answered that stay inspired. Don't yeah. get caught up in the wheel and the repetitiveness of the sprints and be focused on the processes and the tools. Stay inspired. Yeah. Uh, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. Beautiful invitation. Thank you so Thank much you. for chatting with me today. It was lovely to catch up. Thank uh, you. Thank you too. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And you can always go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org slash podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.